0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. If you haven't turned to Second Peter already, if you'll do that, it's nice to have uh, those downstairs visiting with us too, and on the uh, Internet. Isn't it amazing the kind of body we have as believers? Um, last week we only had the one service, and all of us gathering together. I found that to be really enjoyable to just see. Uh, people all together that sometimes we're in our little scattered FSAT and all these different services. So just really nice. But, anyways, good to have you here this morning. We are starting into a new series uh, on Second Peter, just a three week one. It's going to kind of tie in some of the things that we were looking at over Christmas, some of those words. And then uh, we're headed for Daniel and talking about some end time stuff, and Peter will kind of lead us into that. So that's kind of a bit of. Um, Of uh, what we'll be doing. Just to give you a a real quick overview, each uh, chapter we're going to cover in in a particular day, uh, Peter starts out, and we'll talk about this here today, laying out a foundation for us, a a walk. You'll you'll see with a bumper, there's kind of everybody being on a journey, uh, a journey of growth, a a journey of development. And um, and then in chapter 2, he's going to warn us about that teaching that is contrary to godliness that can take us off of that journey. And then in the last chapter, he's going to be talking about, so what about with the thinking of the future in mind? What's coming and how should that affect us? So that's just a real quick summation of the things that we're going to be talking about. Hopefully you'll be able to Uh, put that all together as you read it thanks to Mike to encourage you to read it 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 only takes a few minutes to go through the whole book and if you've ever um, get a moment to do that I would encourage you just read through it so you get that whole sense of it anyways I find myself pretty excited about it Uh, I know I get excited about a lot of things but I'm excited because I have the whole stage get to move around here right none of this box in kind of stuff right Adam this is good stuff all right you ready to go Second Peter. Let's turn to it. Chapter 1. We're going to get started. Now, obviously, this is written by Peter himself. I love this man. I love the kind of thinking that he has. I love how he uh, has energy. I love how he is concerned and caring for people. And because of that concern and care, he writes a letter. And this is how he starts it out. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's writing a letter. This is his second letter. He has already written 1 Peter, and if you have read through there, now you'll go through 2 Peter. You'll find uh, later on in this book, he'll say, Hey, I wrote that one, and I'm writing this one to remind you of some things. He's not thinking that he's necessarily teaching new truth but he's teaching truth that needs to be reminded. And I don't know about you, but I find this to be very, very helpful to me because the cares and concerns of this world seem to captivate my thinking. And sometimes I find myself, I kind of wake up to the point of like, I've been drifting along here. So it's really good for us to be reminded of these things. And, and when Peter writes, you see in this first verse that he's writing to believers. <clears throat> he's thinking of particular people out there scattered around. It's not a particular church. It's just believers out there. And he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. Uh, believers is what we're talking about. And how did that happen? By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. We've already seen this when we were talking about Christmas, right? One of the things about Christmas is that uh, we know that the Lord's name was Emmanuel, God with us, right? That's what this phrase is using here, God and Savior. He's one and the same. He's God and he's the Savior. And we've seen that with the angels. The Savior of the world has come already. So there's just this, this recognition of, oh, we have a righteousness, but it's by Jesus. It's not our own. It's not what we've done. That's who he's writing to. That means he's writing to us, and that means we get to listen in on this conversation and say, okay, Lord, what is it that you're trying to say to us? Well, Peter starts out in this second verse, and and a lot of times, you know, when you read, at least I do this, when I'm reading, especially like in Paul's letters, and he has a little bit of a greeting, I tend to skip over them. Oh, I'm a legalist, just so you know, (laughs) if you haven't figured that out. My wife is a license, I'm the legalist in our family. So the legalism within me is like, oh no, you got to read every word. Like you can't skip through scripture, right? So you got to read it. So I read it, but I'm tuned out. I'm only reading it like it's a filler. But what I love about Peter is he never, I'm not saying Paul puts fillers in there, but Peter definitely doesn't. Like, Peter is not in this, well, I'm just greeting for the commonality of that greeting. He's greeting with an intensity. That's why I love it. He starts out and he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And if you're not careful, you're going to read that like, well, that's just his greeting. And then he's getting into it. No, He's coming right at us, like he's pitching hard right here, right? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. Again, that that word is tied in there together. He's Jesus our Lord, but he's also God. But these are the things that he's saying, grace and peace be multiplied more to you. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, studied out these two different words, But there's a certain sense here in this word of uh, peace where there's a freedom. Uh, 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 One version that I read, it said, free from the agitating passions of the flesh. Free from the moral things of this world. There's a peace that comes. How does that come? It says here, be multiplied to you through the knowledge. This is also true for grace. We're going to see he starts out with this word grace, and we'll see at the end of our study, he finishes with this word too. Two specific words that he's intentional about wanting for us to, to recognize and to see and go, oh, there's something here for us as believers. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How does that happen? He says it's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now if you grabbed any of the notes in the back, you'll notice there's a place to write some things on this word knowledge, because I want to highlight something here for you. Our word knowledge actually comes from two different words that are going to be used throughout Peter. That's going to be important for us if we're going to rightly divide it, if we're going to rightly understand it. The one word, the word that's being used here, is a knowledge that is full, it is precise, it is complete It's in in its entirety, right? It's an experiential knowledge, meaning that you understand something, but that understanding is not just intellectual, but it's also now experiential. It's being lived out in my life. So when he says this, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That tells us then that there has to be some understanding. That's the first word for knowledge. And then there also has to be some living it out. And as we live that out, guess what happens? Grace and peace are multiplied to us. That ought to catch your attention. Hey, I want a little bit of that. At least if you understand what those two words are talking about. So I'm going to try to highlight that for you as we go into this study. But he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And there's that word knowledge again. But do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We already have something do we know it intellectually but also is it experientially being lived out in our lives are we understanding this we're coming to a more full understanding of it because it's actually being lived out now he says here these we have everything that pertains to life and godliness what are those things i don 't have time to um, necessarily go through those, but on the on the notes if you 've got them, you can just look on the back there and I listed them out for you because i didn't I knew i wouldn 't have the time but i 'm just saying there, here's some things that are true about us, these things that pertain to life and godliness. We have an indwelling spirit of God i don 't I don't know about you but like we just had a BTC class on this for about three months and there were people talking about this of like, wow, I, I didn't understand. all. I, like I knew I had the spirit of God within me, but what does it mean to actually walk with him? What does it mean to actually live a life where he is leading me as the word of God says? What, what does that look like? Well, he's saying here, guess what guys, that he has already given us the things that pertain to life and godliness, but we need to understand those things and live within them. That's going to be some serious work on our part, is what that's going to mean then, right? He says he's given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. That word life is Zoe. I've mentioned this word to you before because it's important. He's talking about spiritual life here. He's not talking about bios. He's not talking about your biological life. He's talking about what you need for spiritual life he's already given to you. To life and to godliness, There's nothing that we're hindered by that we can say, you know what? I wanted to be godly, but I couldn't be because I didn't have it. We already have it all. And it's by his divine power. He's already given this. To us, all things that pertain to life and godliness, how? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Do you remember as we were studying out uh, this whole thing of Christmas time and glory to God in the highest? Do you remember that? The angels are shouting this out. There's something about him that's glorious. There's something about him that as I get to know him, as I study the word of God and learn about him, but then I begin to see him living out his life in my life. As that happens, there's a drawing uh, glory, virtue. There's, There's a spiritual energy that comes with that. There's something about the character of Christ that draws our hearts, pulls us in. Through the knowledge of him who called us, he called us, he pulled us that way by glory and virtue. All you have to do, as you get to know him more, you fall in love with him more. In essence, that's what it's saying. By which that... Glory and virtue, that that understanding of, of who he is, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, what he's saying is that as as we get to know the Lord more and more in this whole area of of his glory and and the virtue, the, the, the moral excellence and the energy that he has in regards to living that life out, he says here, that there's been exceedingly great promises made. We spoke about some of these things in regards to the Christmas story. That the Old Testament has, has a prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of the coming of the Savior. And there he is. It's just part of the promises. But it's not just those. It's promises like the fact that the Spirit of God would come and indwell us. And and Old Testament prophets looked at this and tried to discern and tried to see it, and they couldn't quite get it. But they wrote those things down as God was giving them utterance to do so. We'll talk a little bit about this further on. But there's exceedingly great promises, and it's through these that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the moment you became a believer, you were indwelt by the Spirit of God and given a new nature. Scripture calls that a divine nature. Doesn't make you God, doesn't make you deity. It just means that you now have within you the Spirit of God living within you, and He's given you a new, it's a new birth, a new nature. And now there's the privilege to be partakers of that, to actually live in light of all of that. We don't have to live in the flesh in the old way. It's new. We're a new creature, all things have become new. So there's a possibility for us to live the way that we ought to be living as God would have us. This is all what's in Peter's mind as he's starting out here with this, right? Grace and p- peace be multiplied to you. Why? Because these are all things that are yours. Look at what it says that you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You've already escaped it. That's a having. That's a past tense. He's not saying if you do these things, you'll escape. He's saying you've already escaped it. Now, we don't feel that way, right? Because we're living in this world. But the truth is is that I no longer have to yield to my flesh. How incredible is that? Those things that enter into my mind, the temptations that come, all of that stuff, I don't have to yield to that anymore. Why? Because of these truths that Peter is throwing right at us. He's throwing a fastball right down the middle is what he's doing. He says then in verse 5, he says, but also for this very reason, like in light of all of that, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, so Peter is saying, guys, I'm telling you something that's true about us. I'm telling you what God has done. But now I'm going to encourage you, you're going to have to partner together with him. You're going to have to take some some steps forward in this. And so he says, for this reason, in light of what God has done, and, and for that to continue on, for maturity, if we're going to have any kind of experiential understanding of God, we've got to walk with him. We've got to spend time with him. And so for this reason, he says, giving all diligence, you make sure that this is serious business for you. You you make sure that you're after this. As I read through this, and I'm, I found myself so encouraged because Peter is writing, and he'll say, I'm doing this so that I, I, you guys are already established in this, and I just am reminding you. And that was so helpful for me because it was like, Lord, that's what you want me to do too, isn't it? You just want me to remind people of these things. Because the reality is, is Peter couldn't make the decision for anybody but himself, and neither can you. Right? none of us can make these decisions for anybody else, but we can make them for ourselves. And that's why Peter writes this, because he's saying, guys, listen, you need to give diligence to this. You need to make effort on this. You need to see this as a priority, somehow to be awakened to the fact that this is what I want to be pursuing all of my life. And he says, besides all of that, add to, that that's actually, it's not like adding it on, it's actually supply, put this out there for that, right? In addition to that, besides the fact that you've already put your trust in Christ, he says, add to your faith virtue. That's like energy, spiritual energy. In other words, it's putting my faith into action is what it is. I don't just say that I believe God or I'm trusting God, I actually do it there's energy that's involved, right? You know how that is. There's times when the bills are piling up and you're going, Lord, your word says that you'll provide all of my need and I'm trying to trust you, but the date for that bill being due is getting closer and closer. Are you gonna pay this? How are you gonna do this, Lord? And pretty soon we start biting our fingernails and pacing the floor and acting like as if we really don't trust him. Well, what Peter is saying here is, guys, listen, add to that. If this is what your faith you believe what God is saying guess what you need to be living with the energy that God supplies for that trusting him trust him all the way all the way and just keep building on that get just keep supplying more and more of that to that and besides that while you're doing that also he says to that also supply more knowledge that word is the first word or the second word that I mentioned to you which is intellectual knowledge in other words, it's not just trusting him like, okay, I'm just going to kind of daze away and trust you. No, there's some, there's some understanding. What does the word of God say? Well, in the illustration I was given to you, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. That's what the word of God says. How do I know that? That's called knowledge. Spending time in the word, finding out what it says about these things. Maybe I see that I have a struggle in a particular area. Might be good to actually study that particular thing. What does the Word of God say about all of that so that I might become grounded in it? Why? So that when the moments of temptation are there, I know what the Word of God says about this and I can come back to that, be reminded again of that. And he lists one after another after another. I've given them on the back of that page too, just a little bit of a definition for you because we don't have time to go through all of them. But, But I would encourage you to pursue understanding these things. Peter is saying give diligence to them, right? Give all diligence to them. You want to see these things as becoming more and more characteristic of your life as the Spirit of God is working them into your life. That's what the pursuit ought to be. And he goes on in verse 8, and he says this, For if these things are yours, all that I've just described to you, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! If these things are yours, that, that phrase is like, they're yours in the sense of when you became a believer, they're yours. But the word here is talking about that you've made them your own. You've made them your possession. These are mine, right? Right? That's mine. It belongs to me. It's that kind of an idea. That as is, that is we're getting a hold of these things, we're saying, okay, Lord, you put them out there for me. I want that. I do want that. Yes. I want to walk with you in such a way that, that what my understanding is of you is then beginning to affect the way that I live. And I know I need your spirit for that, Lord, but He's not going to do it in a vacuum. So I want to grow in this. I'm going to open the word of God. He says, if if these things are yours, so that they're 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 my possession, they're not just in my presence, they're they're my possession. And he says, and they abound. There's an overflowing. It's actually coming out of the life, in other words. That's what that abound is talking about. Guess what's gonna happen? You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. There, that word is that experiential knowledge. You're not gonna be barren or unfruitful in the way that you live out all of this stuff. It's gonna have an effect. It's not barren. It's not idle, in other words. It's not unfruitful. Now, you'll notice that he's saying, if these things are yours, meaning that that's not true for every believer. What is true for every believer is we have everything that pertains unto life and godliness. All of us have that. But these things that he's saying, add to this, add to this, add to this, those are all choices that we have to make. And like I said, I can't make that for you and you can't make that for me, but we can sure encourage each other to do that. And as we live that life out, guess what? Now it flows out, out of the abundance of the heart. Boom, there it is. It comes out, right? The Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when my heart is taken up with these things, guess what I'm going to be talking about? When my heart is taken up with the things of this world, guess what my mouth is going to be talking about? Right? So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's, these things are going to overflow. And we're going to see not only what the word says, but we're going to see it in action. And other people see it in action. Now he gives us a warning in the next verse. He says, for he who lacks these things. So that tells us, he's writing to believers again, and he's saying, he who lacks these things. That means we as believers can be lacking in this. Sometimes we are, maybe all too often we are. There's a lot of believers, I would say, who actually are. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just saying the abundant life, is, you don't see that like a, like a, what is that, artesian well? You know how the pressure of that water comes gushing out. You don't see that a lot in a lot of believers. Why not? Because we're not being obedient to what the Word of God teaches us in this. That's why I love Peter. He just drives right at it. For he who lacks these things, in other words, they're present, but he hasn't made them his possession. That's what he's talking about with that. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. He's only looking this far out. It says even to blindness. In other words, he doesn't see. It's in contrast to by chapter 3, Peter is going to tell us, listen guys, in the future this is what's going to happen. There's going to be, uh, the heavens and the earth are going to melt, and there's going to be new ones created. And in light of all of that stuff, you ought to be thinking how you ought to live. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 3, but I'm just telling you, this is in keeping with that. He's saying, listen, you know what? The person who lacks these things, he's short-sighted. He's only seeing the present. He's only seeing what's going on now. He's only caring about what's happening now. He's not looking down into the future and seeing, oh, wait a minute, God's returning and he's going to set up a kingdom, and then he's going to eventually destroy everything that we see and create something new, and we will be with him forever in that state. Amazing. Maybe we ought to live with that in mind today. That's the kind of thinking that Peter is wanting for us to have, and he says he is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. Verse 10, therefore, in light of all of this, brethren, be even more diligent. Do you see? He said, "Give all diligence to?" Now he's saying, "Hey, be even more diligent." It's like, "Hey, am I getting your attention?" Right? Last night I was teaching down there. Just jump right up on the, on the uh, chair there, trying to like communicate. It's, it's not just like, I'm on the edge, right? I'm, I know I'm here. But if I could get down there, I want to I get right in front of you to say, "Hey, it's even more diligent." Peter is trying to catch our attention. Thank God he is, because sometimes we need someone to get our attention on this stuff. When we begin, this is an important concept right here, I'm just telling you. We can drift along day after day, year after year, and somewhere get towards the end of our life and look back on it and wonder what it was all about and how it all happened, or... We can be looking forward to all of that and saying, Lord, I want to live a life of intention, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God. That word study is there's an intensity in living the life. It's not book studies that he's talking about. He's saying make every effort after this. Peter is telling us the same thing. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Now, I just want to stop right here. There's a word here that I want you to catch. The problem is is that within our church circles these days, we have a little bit of one of these things going on between those who believe in Calvinism and those who don't and that kind of stuff. And so this verse oftentimes gets, gets kind of, I'll say, hijacked into that whole discussion. But when that happens, I think we miss a word, and that is the word sure right there. Don't miss this. He says, be even more diligent to make your call an election. The invitation and the acceptance of that invitation, there needs to be, in this word sure, a stability, a firmness. He's not talking about make sure that you're saved. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is the idea of maturity, of stability, of firmness, of steadfastness, in other words. Guys, be diligent to make sure that Yes, you're saved, but all of this gets worked down deeper and deeper and deeper into your life. That's what he's saying here. Make, be diligent to make that sure, to, to, to solidify that, so that you're not carried about with every wind of doctrine. Someone comes and says something, and you're like, oh, that sounds really good, and off you go, right? He'll talk about that in chapter 2. Or so that you're not in this position of going, like, hey, you know what? Can I lose my salvation? I don't know. Maybe I can. Maybe I've lost it. What do I do with that? Oh, my word. And that's instability, is what that is. But he's saying there should be a study, there should be an understanding, there should be a growth so that these things become more and more solid in us. That's what he's talking about. So Peter is, is endeavoring to help us to see this stuff. Look at this promise. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Notice he doesn't say you'll never sin. That's not what he's talking about here. But he's talking about as these things become more and more solid in our lives, the things don't trip us up, right? Oh my word, he said this and oh my, (laughs) whoa, now what do I do with that? But but we become more rooted, more anchored into these things. We're not gonna stumble. Oh, the, they can come at us, false teaching can come at us, but we know, nay, hey, whoa, the word of God doesn't teach that. I know what you're trying to say, I know how you're trying to turn that, but that's not what it says, because I'm supposed to be rightly dividing, and I understand context and I understand these different things, right? So that we're not gonna stumble, he says. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, in the context, it's talking about our works as believers. And it says that there will be some whose works will be burned up. And it says in that verse, it says they will be saved, yet as by fire. In other words, we use the term by the skin of their teeth. They're believers, right? And they're saved and they're going to heaven, but that's it. Everything that they've ever done, it just gets burned right up. This is the exact opposite of that. That is like just saved. <laughs> Woo! We made it, right? <laughs> and the other is abundance. And that's what Peter is pointing towards. And he's saying, listen, you know what? You, I'm writing to you believers. You're all going to heaven. That's not the issue. The issue is, is there's an abundance of entrance. What are you pursuing? And it's not from the standpoint of I want all of that. That's what I want. But it's that It's that, um. Uh, joy and delight of all that God has been doing in our lives and how he's been using us. And so he says, if so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's something about going to heaven, not by the skin of our teeth, but a life well lived, a life that has been diligent to be pursuing the things of God. That's what Peter is trying to encourage us in. And so he says in verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. I find that to be very encouraging. I find it because Peter is writing to people who know what we know. And he's saying, listen, I know you know this but I also know that we need to be reminded of it, that there's something about this human nature, right? This this propensity to kind of get short-sighted and forget and and to think only of what's going on right now. It's these moments where we wake up and we say, hey, I've been living my life as if tomorrow matters when eternity matters, right? There's a difference. God, I need, I need you to keep reminding me of this because, because the world keeps throwing stuff at me and I find myself, I'm, I'm looking at you but after a while I'm, I'm just looking right in front of me. I'm just trudging along and, do, and doing what's next. And so I, I'm not going to be negligent. I would consider it improper. I would consider it a problem if I don't tell you these things to remind you always of these things even though you know them and you're established. Why? Because there's an opportunity to walk away from that. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So, in other words, Peter understood, hey, I'm not long for this world. Phil was praying, and he mentioned, not by name, but um, one of our friends passed away uh, last weekend, Bob Poncho. And, uh, I thought I didn't get a chance to do this. I wanted to go talk to Bob, and I wanted to ask Bob, Bob, what's it like? What, what is it that as you see the day approaching, what is it like for you? What's, what's become more valuable to you with every day that that day is approaching? What, how's that affecting the way that you live? Because I was hoping that I would learn something. Different ones that have been mentors in my life that I've tried to point towards. and So tell me, you're you're ten years down the road. Tell me what that's like. Help me to know that as I'm coming towards that corner in the road, that turn in the road, help me to know what that's going to be like for me. Mentor me. Peter's doing that right here. He's saying, hey, I, I see it coming. I know. The Lord himself has expressed that to me. So I'm telling you these things. Because it's extremely important. These are kind of like the last words of a dying man type thing. And it's not just that, but the Spirit of God is inspiring him. Peter, write this stuff down because I want my kids down through the centuries to know these truths so that they'll be diligent after that. For this reason, Peter says, I will not be negligent, even though I'm headed for the grave now. But he has a hope, right? He says then, picking this up in verse 19, he says, uh. <clears throat> Did I skip? Yeah, there we are, verse 16, sorry. For we did not follow cunningly uh, uh, devised fables or stories. Let me tell you something, guys. What I'm I'm telling you, what what I'm encouraging you, what I'm saying, hey, you need to be after this. I want you to know that, that we're not telling you something that we dreamt up. We didn't sit in that upper room, do you remember that, when Jesus was breaking bread with us, and we, okay, now he's going to be leaving, so how are we going to get the masses to follow him? Well, let's talk about this, and let's do that, and oh, yeah, we'll tie this together. No. He's saying we we didn't follow after cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're expressing to you, we're telling you, he is awesome, and he's coming, and he's going to do something when he comes. That's what Peter is saying there. And so he says, by example, he begins to give us a reminder. He says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw this stuff with our own eyes. We actually got a a preview, a glimpse. And now he's going to talk about, do you remember in several of the Gospels, he actually speaks of he and James and John going up with the Lord on the mountain, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up you remember those stories? And Peter, oh, bless his heart, this guy, he's so intense, but he sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. And he's just dumbfounded, and he doesn't know what to say, and he's scared, the Scripture tells us. And he says, hey, Lord, it's great that we're here with you. Let me make a couple uh, uh, booths that will represent each one of you. That would be so cool, wouldn't it, Lord? Like, I think that would be nice to do. And you know what happens? God the Father speaks. A cloud comes over all of them, and God the Father speaks, and he says, hey! He didn't say hey, but you get the idea. <laughs> get got their attention, right? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, it's not Elijah, it's not Moses. Oh yeah, they're great Jewish men, and they were used greatly by God. But they're not God. He's the one this is my beloved son. This is the one that I find all of my pleasure, all of my delight in him. Listen to him. And Peter remembers this. And that's what he says then. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory that said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is saying, guys, what I'm telling you about what's to come, the glory of God, the power of God, all this is that's coming. Guess what? We've had a preview of it. I've seen some of this with my own eyes. And I can tell you, it's amazing. And so he says, verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Like all this Old Testament promises that he's been referring to before, all of these different things that you find in the in the Old Testament, he's saying, "Guess what? It's it's being confirmed. There's the action. It's actually happening." You know, in the Book of Psalms, in Isaiah, there's several different references to this moment that he will be. This is my beloved son. In other words. These guys were writing it back there and they didn't know that, but Peter sees it and he puts it together and he says, We have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. Like it's there, it's spoken to us, but we can drift along. We can get complacent on all of this stuff. And Peter's saying, i got to remind you guys because that's the human nature. You would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Have you ever been in a dark place when you're trying to feel your way around? You're trying to figure things out, and all of a sudden someone lights a match or just turns on a small little light, and boom. It's not the biggest thing. It doesn't illuminate everything, but Oh, yeah, you gravitate towards that. Oh, now I can see. I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to trip into a hole. And, and there's comfort that comes with that. He says, you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. N- nobody, nobody is saying, hey, 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 this is what it means without it correlating with what the rest of the word of god says we can actually compare scripture with scripture and come away with a clear understanding oh that's what god's talking about or at least we can come away with a that's not what he's talking about right no 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 scripture no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man no no prophet ever went like okay i'm going to i'm going to go go into my study, and I'm just going to kind of like, you know, spend time with God, and, and, then, and then I'm going to hear a word from Him. That didn't happen. It was not something here that came by the will of man. Oh, there it is. Pop. Whoa, there's a word from God, right? It's ludicrous. But God, of his will and under his power, speaking to these individuals, coming to them, hey, I've got a word. I want you to say this to everybody for me. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is finishing up this chapter. He's gonna start then and saying, hey, just like there were false teachers back or false prophets back there, there's false teachers today. And he's going to, we'll correlate that in next week. But he's saying, guys, I'm telling you some things that the Old Testament has prophesied about. And I've seen some things, and I'm here to tell you as a witness of those. But the bottom line still is, you have to be diligent. The bottom line still is, I'm imploring you. I'm reminding you of these things, even though you're, you know them and are established in the present truth. That, that's what it comes down to. To make these things more sure, more solid, so we're not tossed around by every wind of doctrine, every cunning craftiness. We're not moved all over the place by that. You know what I find I find in the arrogance of my heart this this arrogant thought oh that will never happen to me. Do you think that way too? Only to find out then as I'm studying certain things it's like oh, oh I had that wrong didn't I? Guess what guys? We're susceptible to these things. We're not so brilliant in and of ourselves. We're not such sharpies, right? that we don't need this. We need for the Spirit of God constantly to be revealing truth to us because we are susceptible to untruth. Not to, not to maybe some of those blatant things that are out there, right? But we start buying into some of the things that creep in and slowly undermine. And this is what Peter is going to be warning us against as we move forward. So let's be praying about this and let's be asking God, Father, teach me about these things. These things that you say that I have that pertain unto life and godliness, show me what those are. Because I'm not so sure I understand all of that. So would you teach my heart, right? These things that I'm supposed to be one thing after another after another, Lord, show me what that's about. Help me to to grow in my understanding of those things. Why? So that there might be a stability, an anchoring of the soul, so that the life of Jesus is going to be abundantly lived out through your life and mine. And that's where he gets glory. And that's what we're trusting him for, right? Let's pray. Father, I look out the window and I see snow falling. And there's a part of me that doesn't like that. (laughs) I would prefer winter without it. But there's a part of me that looks out that window and sees such beauty. Here you are, white snow falling, covering the ground. And it reminds us of some of these verses that we've been looking at. It reminds us of that thought of having escaped the corruption that is in the world. When there's a blanket of white snow, our world looks so beautiful and so wonderful, but then as it melts away, it looks pretty nasty and yucky. And that's the way it is in our world. Oh, thank you, God, that you've redeemed us. You've bought us. We're now no longer part of that. We actually have your nature within us, and we have the privilege of being partakers. Of participating along with you in what you're doing. That there's a ramification to us as far as uh, living a life that is not stumbling all over things, but solid and secure. There's a ramification where it flows out of our lives and it begins to affect other people too. We delight in being around people who seem to be reflecting you, God. We pray that you will help us to become those very same people that there would be such that's happening that people want to know more about you because they observe our life. That doesn't just happen, Lord. That's because there's some diligence. So teach our hearts. Help us as we are congregating together. Help us to encourage one another in these same things, to be helpful to one another and not detracting from this process but building one another up. Thank you for these things. I pray, Father, that as we go through the next chapters of Second Peter, that you'll, you'll mold these thoughts all together so that we get a good picture of what, what you've been using Peter to tell us. Thank you for doing that, Father. We pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.